Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning everyone, it's lovely to see you here. Um, welcome if you're a visitor, my name is Abby and I'm one of the leaders here at um, CCM Fallowfield. And so yeah, we're going to be continuing in a series that we've been looking at as a church um, that's based on, um, well, it's, it's teaching from Galatians um, in the New Testament. And so yeah, we're going to carry on with that by looking at chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. Um, So before we kick off just looking at God's word this morning, I wondered if you've ever felt excluded from something, okay? When I was young, I'm talking very young, this isn't recent, um, I loved a good club. I don't have any of my old membership cards, but I was in the, the Mr. Men and Little Miss club as a child. I was in numerous book clubs, reading clubs. I made up my own clubs. We had plank club, horse club, and probably many others. But um, I found a couple of examples of memory card of these membership cards online. Okay, as I don't have these anymore. <laughs> Need to make that really clear. Um, but when I was around nine years old, um, I used to run an animal club. <laughs> now it was by nature really exclusive. You had to know facts off the top of your head about your favourite animal in order to join. That was really important. And you had to present what you knew as part of your initiation into this club. And you had to have pictures, facts, drawings, and just pure confidence that you knew all that there was to know about your favourite animal. And people who couldn't recite this information off the top of their head, just I told them that they simply couldn't be part of it, which is just really mean, um, because they didn't meet the requirements that I'd, sit, I'd set them. And yesterday, Stephen and I went to visit my family, and we were talking about the fact that I was speaking this morning, and I mentioned the animal club to my sister, who said, I quote, oh yeah, I remember that. That was the one that you changed to a pet club so that we couldn't come, because you had a guinea pig and we didn't. (laughs) And looking back, this behavior is terrible. It's horrible. It's brutal and thankfully it's a really long time ago and God's done a lot of work on my character since then (laughs) but this this mindset of membership and jumping through hoops for others can really spread into other areas of life Um, maybe you can relate more to the idea of a friendship group maybe you had to look a certain way in order to feel accepted by your group of friends or maybe you had to act a certain way in order to be allowed to join a certain activity Now, I'm sure that we've all done this in some way, shape or form. Secondary school in particular seems like it's a place that's just rife with these groups and cliques and with your social standing relying on what groups you were part of and who you knew. And there was a freedom for a lot of time to join one of these groups, um, but you had to look and be a certain way that wasn't too different or far from the norm within the group. And this mindset um, can really sneak into our understanding of the gospel. It can feel us leaving, feeling excluded from the possibility of a relationship with God. It can fe- lead to us feeling not accepted as we are in church. And it can just generally leave you feeling quite unlovable. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 
Now, Galatians was a letter that was written by a man called Paul, and it's about 15 years after he became a Christian and he learned about God and about Jesus and what he'd done. And he wrote this letter in response to people who were hardcore followers of the law of Moses. And they were adding some of these old law principles to the gospel. And people who weren't circumcised weren't accepted into true salvation in their eyes. And it was wreaking havoc in the church. Um, It was putting restrictions on what it meant to be a true Christian and what it was to be truly saved. And it left people excluded, confused as to what the gospel was really about. There were additional hoops to jump through, much like those membership groups, despite the fact that Jesus had preached a gospel of grace. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Um, it'd be really helpful for you to have it in front of you, um, but it will also come up in the, on the screen behind me. Excellent. <laughs> it says this. Then after 14 years, I, this is Paul, right into the Galatians, went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, which was Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All I asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I have been eager to do all along. So let's put this into the context of which the book was written. So looking at this passage, we see that the gospel was becoming twisted. There were requirements of the Jewish law being um, enforced on people who were outside of Jewish culture and had been part, made part um, by mistake um, of the process of salvation, the process of becoming a Christian. And these people who were known as Judaizers were denigrating what Paul had taught to the churches in Galatia. So they were almost like bad-mouthing him. And it was thought that they were saying that Paul's teachings weren't aligned to the rest of the apostles, um, to those who had lived with and followed Jesus while he had had his ministry here on the earth. And these, um, these people were seen as really influential, these leaders of the church in Jerusalem, um, and maybe the truest Christians in the understanding of the early church. So let's break this passage down. Um, like I said, you'll probably find it helpful to have this out in front of you. Um, and we're going to start with verses one to three. So we see that Paul presents the gospel to those followers of Jesus who led the church in Jerusalem. Now, in this version, The words that they used were esteemed as leaders, um, but I also really like the the ESV, the English Standard Version, which uses the word influential. And these were people who were really highly respected in the church. Now, Paul was equally 
uh, respected in his own right. Um, but he'd come to faith in a slightly different way to the people who had lived with Jesus. Um, and he had had this miraculous conversion to Christianity where he had this really powerful vision of God. And he turned from being a persecutor of Christians to just being the complete opposite, uh, sold out for Jesus, advocate of the faith. And you can read more about that in Acts chapter 9 if you're interested. Um, but because he hadn't been like directly a follower of Jesus when, when Jesus was in human form on the earth, there was a chance that his form of the gospel, what he was teaching, wasn't quite the same as what the, um, the original apostles, if you like, um, were preaching. And in chapter 1 of Galatians, which we looked at, I think it's either last week or the week before, um, Paul shares that he learned what he did through a direct revelation from Jesus. And because of this, he was really sure of his calling. He wasn't reliant on the disciples' authority as people who had known Jesus um, in his human form, but they were part of the same church and they were following the same person. He wasn't starting a rival church, and the only way to ensure that this unity happened was to make sure that they were all on the same page. Hence, his visit to Jerusalem to chat um, to the leaders there. Um, now, Paul was really humble in this. Okay? He recognised the influence and blessing that God had given to his fellow leaders. And he kind of name drops towards the end. It was James, Peter and John. Um, and he went to them, making sure that they were on the same page. Um, and he did that in order to legitimise what he was teaching and dispelling any untrue versions of the gospel that were kind of making their way around the churches in Galatia. So we've got that in verses one to three. In verses four to six, it kind of carries on. And the issue that's come up is circumcision. Now, there were some people who were saying that this was required in order to fully know and follow Jesus and that salvation was not complete without it. Now, circumcision um, was a sign of God's covenant with Israel and his people, but that was before Jesus came. And Paul, as a Jew, he's been circumcised, but what he's, what he's trying to work out is, um, or what he believes is true, is that you don't need that in order to follow God. And he refers to Titus, um, who is a respected leader in his own context, um, and how he's heard the gospel and not felt compelled to be circumcised as a result. Now, the best example I could kind of think of to help us um, think about this was the concept of being a fan, okay? A true fan, whether it be of a game, a band, a football team, they're not considered a fan on their own based on their interest in something. They need merch, they need the shirts, they need to show that they've been on seen the tour, that they've got the latest kit, that they've got a signed CD. They need commitment, they're there, the first in the queue, in the desperate kind of... Um, desire to meet and greet the celebrity that they're wanting to see. Um, and they want to show up at games, whether it's rain or shine. And I honestly think, now controversial, but you can enjoy something, can be a fan of something without doing those things. But there are added standards by those in those groups who want to see that actually you're as good a fan as they are. And there are all these extra hoops that you need to jump through. And they say, you know what, you're welcome and justified in being a fan. I want to, like, I'm happy to be a fan with you, but only if you fit into a certain box and behave in a certain way. And that's what was happening here with the Judaizers and the Gentiles. It's like, yes, you're welcome to be Christians. God welcomes you in, but only if you're circumcised. Okay, now 
The key thing here is that something that's not a rule, not a core part of the gospel, um, has kind of snuck in to um, the story of salvation and what Jesus has come to do for us. Now, the title of this series is Gospel Freedom. But this, what we're talking about, isn't freedom. The need for something additional, it takes away from what we believe is the true gospel, which is centred on only the grace of Jesus, the fact that we can't do anything to earn our salvation. And this wasn't just about circumcision. Um, it wasn't only, that in itself was only relevant for men, but equally it was food laws. It was rigid Sabbath laws, which said that you couldn't work on God's holy day to the point where you weren't allowed to pick a piece of fruit off a tree and eat the piece of fruit because that was considered harvesting. And so they got very caught up in this, I guess, the rules of um, God's previous law. Okay. Um, and I don't know about you, but thinking about this, it feels really far removed from us. Okay. We're not caught up in who's a Jew or a Gentile in this room, <laughs> but the principles that are in this passage um, can be the same. So there are things that we often build into our lives and consider them to be part of the gospel. Now, I personally um, have often felt that I cannot possibly approach God when I'm not reading my Bible because others have told me that I can't possibly know God without reading my Bible daily when actually God says, come as you are. And he invites us to change. So often when I am really pressing into God, I spend loads of time reading my Bible because I'm just desperate to learn more about him. But that's not that's not every day. That, in the nicest possible way, sometimes faith is about just taking the step. It's mind over heart. It's head over feelings. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, is this isn't part of salvation. It's not needed for me to be saved. And I'm not putting less value on the Bible in any way. It's the most explicit form of God's word that we have. It's a beautiful gift that we should really cherish. Um, but it isn't a condition of salvation. In order for us to be saved, we don't need to be reading our Bible. Now, God's shown me over the years that I can only rely on Jesus' sacrifice. And honestly, I have less times where I feel really distant from God because um, I know that my relationship with him isn't based on my own actions of how much I read his word or, or pray, but I am justified through my faith in Jesus. Now, on the other hand, this same principle can be applied to things that we may be considered to be sinful. Avoiding watching certain TV, maybe it's not drinking excessively, maybe it's swearing, making crude jokes. Um, growing up for me, the Christians around me were completely teetotal. Um, and so for years, I was under the impression that you couldn't possibly consume any alcohol at all and be a Christian, <laughs> which is just, yeah, it's quite extreme. Um, but I felt that I was looked down upon by Christians that I respected so much so that I just never even went there. Um, I was so concerned by the views of others. And over time, I realized that this was something that I had added to the gospel based on the views of those around me. Internally, I thought, yeah, you've got to turn to Jesus for grace and forgiveness, but you're only truly a Christian and accepted by other followers of Jesus if you followed a certain set of behaviours. Their views, although extreme, not necessarily wrong. For some, the temptation to use alcohol as an escape or the need to drink to fit in was real, and maybe they felt the need to remove themselves from situations that they felt were not going to support them as they followed Jesus. Um, but their views in my eyes became synonymous with being saved and being a Christian. And it's so easy for so many of these things to sneak into our church culture. We see it in how we choose leaders, whether it's church, whether it's workplaces. We pick people who are based on Western culture um, and their values 
Um, we pick people who are go-getters, people who are entrepreneurial, um, and kind of almost devalue um, um, the qualities that are often respected and sought after in other cultures, whether it's being quiet, reserved, being someone who is a solid presence. Um, these things just become valued and not valued based on our culture. And additionally, church has become, and to be honest, probably has always been in this country, very British, okay? And honestly, recently, it's become very middle class. We schedule dinner for a week's time rather than just knocking on for a quick brew. We ask different questions like, oh, is the food good? Rather than, is there enough for everyone to have some? And these things aren't bad in and of, of themselves. They're really not. Um, but we need to watch that these things haven't reached a status, making them part of the gospel or part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the church. Now, a guy called Darren Edwards wrote, wrote a book called Chav Christianity. Okay, And it's actually a really fascinating read about cross-cultural mission in the UK. Now, he shares a quote in his book. And it's written by a friend of his, Mike Edwards, who um, went to Bible college with him. And he says, when Mike became a Christian, he joined a church. And in this quote, he shared his experience of being integrated into church. It continually saddens me to see the church, particularly evangelical, attempting to pull people out of their particular subculture. We seem to think we have a responsibility to make everyone middle class, white and exceptionally well behaved. However, this does not constitute mission for me. By pulling lower class people out of pubs or equally taking bankers away from their greedy friends, we miss, miss the notion of incarnation. We need to understand the exceptional relevance of their testimony in their contexts and work with that. Now again, I'm not devaluing seeking to live a more holy life. And for some of us, that might look like becoming more well-behaved, like, like Mike said. But we need to be careful that we're not putting those standards on others and putting, making sure that they fit a certain box in order to be accepted into our church. And more than ever before, this is so important for making sure that people are just are able to come to Jesus as they are and to know that actually they don't need to be doing those things in order to be saved. And so whether it's adding certain Christian behaviours to the core of the gospel, um, like I talked about before, or setting standards for others, the principle is the same. So where do we add things to the gospel? I um, want to invite you to just reflect on that. Do you have standards that you put on yourself in order to be saved, like I did? Or do you put standards on others who are different to you? So continuing in our passage, we come to verses 7 to 10. Um, the other church leaders... Um, they recognised the ministry gifting and blessing that God had given to Paul in his ministry to the Gentiles. Not only did they agree with what he was teaching, but they were quick, it says, to extend the right hand of fellowship. Now, honestly, I'm a little bit unsure as to what that means. It's very different wording to what we would say. But I do know that to an extend a hand was to help and support. It was an expression of standing together, of helping someone up. And it took humility on Paul's part to go to them in the first place. Um, and he was happy to have a conversation with people who could have really fiercely defended this part of their culture. They could have grabbed this and gone, oh, I can't believe that you're attacking something that is so core to who we are. Um, but he was happy to have that conversation. However, on the other side of it, 
for um, the leaders of the church to recognise his gifting, to support him in his calling from God, also takes humility. They don't turn away from Paul's challenge that actually there's a false gospel sneaking in um, to life and community that centres around their own culture. It would have been easy easy to take that really personally. And um, I honestly wonder what I would do in that circumstance if someone said, actually, what you're doing isn't quite right. Um, And they could have really defended what was an important part of their culture. Um, But they accept that actually he's got a specific calling. They acknowledge the importance of the part that he's playing in wanting to share God with others. And I don't know if you've ever seen others who were gifted in a certain way and wish that you had those particular skills or gifts. And this is slightly different as it's a spiritual gift. But um, about five years ago, I really, really, really wanted to be able to speak in tongues. I asked God over and over and over again, but I didn't feel like I heard anything in response. And I just became even more envious of people who had that gifting. And eventually, about 18 months later, I asked God, um, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you let me have this privilege, this gift? And I feel like God said to me through my thoughts, not in a condemning way, um, but he said, you want it for the wrong reasons. You want to be able to show others how close you are to me more than you actually want to be close to me. (laughs) And it was a kick in the teeth. It really was. It really hit me hard that. But it was completely true. It become such an important thing to me that I wanted and I wanted to show other people. And it was a really humbling process that honestly, this desire to speak in tongues, it put a real block between me and God for a long time. However, God in his abundant grace has slowly been showing me the humility needed to value other people, to value their giftings and to do that without being jealous or envious because I want those things and maybe I'm insecure in the giftings that God has given me. And so going back to our previous point, in order for us to mirror God's gospel of grace, the fact that it's for everyone, we really need to learn to value each other. We need to be able to recognize strengths of other people. We need to be able to recognize our own weaknesses and where we fall short. And we need to recognize when we need the wisdom of other people who are seeking after God. Um, And to mirror this is to consider that we're all children of God and no one is more important or valued than than anyone else. That is the beauty of the gospel. It's holding the, what we need to do is learn to hold the tension between knowing that we are called and that we are valued and that we are loved, but equally, we're not loved any more than any any other of God's children. And because of that, we're not more important, which is honestly quite a bitter one to swallow, but it's true. Um, And so what does this look like for us? Like, to be humble... Um, it's not to be proud, it's to recognise your own unimportance. But biblical, humini- blah, blah, words. <laughs> biblical humility doesn't mean to be walked all over, okay? It doesn't mean, um, it just means that we recognise our imperfections, we invite the views of others who are seeking after God, it's to consider that we're all children of God, we're not more important than anyone else, but to stand also in the knowledge that we're deeply loved and valued by our Heavenly Father, and it's holding the tension between the two. So again, I want to invite you to reflect, where do we need to be open to the views of others? Where do we need to stand firm also in what God has called us to do in a way that isn't proud like Paul did? Finally, coming to the end of our passage in verse 10, it says, the only thing that isn't covered in the immediate gospel story was kindness to the poor. 
Okay, this was the only thing that needed to be included and added. Um, as Jesus' heart was so for the poor and disadvantaged in society. These were people who were often on the fringes, seen as less than and treated as less than. And although it's not one of those things that's necessarily core to the story of salvation, it was so, it just emanated from everything that Jesus did. And so they were, they wanted to make sure that that didn't get lost. Um, and that needed to happen amongst the planting of churches. The church was spreading and that needed to happen. So, in light of what I've said, we've got two main kind of applications here. Um, we see how other things can be added to the gospel that aren't, that aren't necessarily biblical and true to the initial story of salvation and aren't true to what Jesus taught. And just like these people did with circumcision, um, we're not exempt from adding to the gospel. It's very easily done. Um, but Jesus came for all people. We need to ask ourselves, what do we do that stops ourselves from others from being fully accepted um, in our church and in our relationship with God? And do we need to repent of those actions and bring our attention back to the core of what the gospel is about? And secondly, we see this humility in action on both sides of the conversation in this passage between Paul and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. They mirror how the gospel is for everyone. We're all valued in God's sight. Um, so are we humble, willing to both know who we are in God and stand firm in our identity and calling, but also acknowledge our weaknesses and recognise strengths in others? And so finally, I just want to add this. This whole passage, the whole thing points to the beauty of what Jesus has done. It doesn't matter where you're from, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're from a different socioeconomic background, the opportunities that you've had, your age, your race, the gospel is for you. Jesus came for you. It isn't exclusive. It isn't based on works or actions. And although these often come about through the work of the Holy Spirit, it's solely based on Jesus' own humility in coming to the earth as a human being with all the limitations that that brought. It was in his own humility that he was scorned by the cross. It's through his humility that we receive the gospel freedom that we're focusing on in church at the moment. And I'd like to finish by reading um, part of a devotional by a man called Paul David Tripp. And it's an Advent one, um, so it's a bit focused around Christmas, but I trust that God can use that at any time of year. And I'm going to invite the band um, to play whilst I read um, not because it's mystic or it summons the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but it does stir our emotions. And actually, the gospel invites emotions to be stirred. It invites us to respond. Okay, So um, I'm going to read this excerpt from this devotional, and then we will continue in song worship. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity to come to this broken and groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh with all of its frailty. He was willing to endure an ignominious birth in a stable. He was willing to go through the dependency of childhood. He was willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in this fallen world. He was willing to submit to his own law. He was willing to do his father's will at every point. He was willing to serve when he deserved to be served and he was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to endure rejection and gross injustice. He was willing to preach a message that would cause him personal harm. He was willing to suffer public mockery. He was willing to endure physical torture. He was willing to go through the pain of his father's rejection. 
he was willing to die. He was willing to rise and ascend to be our constant advocate. Jesus was willing. The advent willingness of Jesus is your guarantee that he continues to be willing today. Right here, right now, he's willing to love you on your very worst day. Right now, he's willing to forgive you again and again. Here and now, he's willing to be patient as you continue to grow and mature. Right now, he's willing to battle on your behalf against evil within and without. Here and now, he is willing to teach you through his word. He is willing to supply every one of your spiritual needs. Now he's willing to be faithful, even when you're not. He, right now, is willing to empower you when you're weak and to restore you when you're fallen. He's willing to comfort you when you're discouraged and protect you when you've stepped into danger. And he remains willing to do everything necessary to feed, guide, sustain and protect you until eternity is your final home.